Oh, hello you. It's Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast. This week on the show, actor, YouTuber and now author Joe Sugg tells us how to put those screens away to experience nature in his new book, Grow. Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen allows us to embrace maximalism in his new book, More, More, More. And we've been putting our heads together to solve your dilemmas in Graham's Guide. Here's Maria to tell us more. It was six degrees, Graham. Of separation. (laughs) Six degrees of separation from heat that I'm used to. It's gone from sort of like 20 degrees in a week. Yes, yeah, I, I had to. I had to put a little uh, blouse on. A bolero. Uh, yeah, that kind of thing. On a little shrug. I had to pop a fleecy shrug on to cycle to work. On your bicycle. On my bicycle. I hope it's one of those glow in the dark ones as well, so you don't get knocked off. Of course. Yes, yes my reflective shrug. So- <laughs> Reflective shrug. I must now go and put on my reflective shrug and think about the day. Yes, we're all wearing our reflective shrugs at the moment. That's very Um, good. Did you have a busy week? I had a busy week. Uh, All right, don't let me answer. Yes, tell me about yours. Well, Maria. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Um, I know you're signing all your book copies. Oh, yes, I did that. And that do you know, that was a fascinating day. I was in this really? huge... No, honestly. OK. Uh, <clears throat> uh, I was in this huge warehouse and I was there for many, many, many hours signing thousands of books. But um, I spent the day with these lovely people who work in the thing. And they do these really long shifts and they do start crazy early and da-da-da-da. And, uh, and it's... It's hard work, you know, you're moving yeah. books and yeah. it's the big dispatch place. Yeah. And they have the radio on yeah. in the thing. I'm waiting Sat- for the fascinating bit, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you gave it a big sell and now it's, Actually, it's, it's, it's dribbling away. <laughs> it's not. I mean, I found it fascinating. Oh, I, yeah. I really enjoyed you're it. You're just bigging up the people who work there. Well, no, I am bigging oh, up the people because they do a great job. They and are. They're, they're and fabulous. They're, they are. Mm. No, they are. And they're fascinating. Yeah. But they listen to the radio. Oh, right. But not Virgin Radio, sadly. <laughs> Uh, some other radio station. And, Surely uh, they're converted now after meeting you. Well, no, for a long time, apparently, they had a German uh, uh, pop station uh, in the thing. I don't know why. It must be something to do with the piece, you know, the public uh, performance thing. You know, the... Oh, yeah. You have to get PCR, a license. PCR. Yeah, you have to get the license. So they had a German pay, one. Play music, and, yeah. Uh, and then, so they were playing this radio. And then it suddenly struck me... When the announcement of the Queen, you know, and last Friday, everything yeah, yeah. went sombre, I went, did you have, did you have to listen to sad music all day in here? And they went, yes. And you can imagine working in a factory, which is hard enough as it is. And listening to sad music. For all day, I mean, that must have been terrible. But there are ways of avoiding it. No, you can't wear head, uh, earphone things. Oh, like, OK. No. Yeah. Uh, you, I was just merely thinking about changing the station. no. Can't be done. Can't be done because of, because of the aforementioned license agreement. Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah. Yes. So they they were on that. Um, I'm interested to hear that your the queue went past your house. By the way, I mean we don't even need to say which queue now. Everybody knows the queue. Mm. Not not the queue for the queue. The actual queue. Yeah. Um, there was a queue for the queue. The queue. Though. So I didn't see the queue till I got home on Wednesday night, and then oh. I wish I'd joined it. It was moving at quite a pace. Was it? It was very brisk at that point. But and I was saying this earlier about London, how everything is going on in London. And it was kind of... I, I don't know why this pleased me, but I liked the fact that you could have all these people stretching for miles along the river and then a party boat was going down the river with another bunch of people having a totally different experience on that boat with flashing lights and Rihanna blasting through the speakers. Yes, yes. And I just liked that all human life is here and that people are, you know, finding 
their own lives. The queue in is London. in Hastings now, by the way. <laughs> yes, you now need to get get, get on South East Rail. I like the little thing that I put up, which is, Q is such a great word. The actual important letter. Uh, first, and then four more silently waiting behind it in line. <laughs> it's quite nice, isn't it? It's true. Come on, tell me about Soho House. Oh, yes, I was in... I, I wasn't in Soho. I was in Soho Farmhouse. Soho Farmhouse. Yes. Tell me the difference. Well, one's in the country. <laughs> <laughs> I nearly spat my tea there. <laughs> <laughs> what is the word farm in it? <laughs> OK, so one's in the country. And do they pipe in the smell of cow stuff? Uh, the, no, there were actual real horses. Oh, lovely. Real horses Did you there. ride? No, I did no, not. No, no. Uh, no, I was there for... It was like succession. I was there for a big uh, meeting of all these uh, kind of heads of companies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because they wanted to talk to me. No, I, I wasn't. I had to interview someone. Yeah. Uh, uh, for but it was a big social media company, wasn't it? Uh, yes. Yes. And We're uh, not they, naming it. No. No. No, you notice I didn't. Yeah, I'm amazed. Yeah, I am too. Might, <laughs> I might do in a minute. I see how I feel. And so did you have a lovely time? Did you go in the spa and put unduance on your body and so on? Uh, no, I did not. Oh. Uh, in fact, just made it in time because they allow dogs. So you can bring dogs, <gasps> which is very fabulous. nice. But... Here's the cat. Yeah. So, by the way, if you don't know what Soho Farmers is, it's a kind of a holiday park. Um, it's little chalets and restaurants yes. in a field. And there's a chain of Soho houses yeah. in London and various places around the, the world, world, I believe. In fact, yeah. And people could be listening around the world on the app. Yeah. Anyway, so they allow dogs. But here's the catch. They don't allow dogs in anywhere. So uh, all our meals were had outside. Oh. <laughs> and it got... By the time we finished dinner on Wednesday... Legs were quite cold. But what about they allow dogs in your room, though? Oh yes. So very you much could so. have had dinner in your room, but that's a bit sad. Isn't yes, it? that's a bit tragic. Yeah, yeah. But you, you're right. We could have. Uh, uh, by the way, did the letters arrive? Did you get the letters? I don't know. Okay. I forgot to check this week. Possibly Graham's guide after this. We're not <laughs> sure. Virgin Radio. Radio's guide. I um, I found some letters. <gasps> Great! Just in the nick of time. Yeah, okay. I'll read the first one, shall I? Yeah, why not? It's quite long. Dear Graham and Maria, Daniela, Grace and I have been best friends for nearly ten years, since we were in school. We're a friendship group of three and always hang out together. Recently, Grace went away on a gap year. Gap year. But has just come back and the three of us are spending lots more time together again. However, after our last meet-up, I realised that Grace has become a different person. She's incredibly negative, quick to point out flaws and mistakes or pass judgement. And she often makes thinly veiled, passive-aggressive statements that she will never admit to when she's called out on it. Yet, she still insists that I'm one of her best friends and loves being together. I do my best to make sure we have a good time, but she's difficult to be around and I always come away from our hangouts feeling bad about myself and worn out. Daniela is much better at brushing Grace's comments off, but I don't want to have to do that with someone I'm supposed to be friends with. How can I deal with this? I'm worried that if I distance myself from Grace, I'll split our friendship group and make it awkward between the three of us. As far as I can tell, Daniela still has a good relationship with Grace and I'm worried... That if I decide to distance myself from Grace, then it'll affect my relationship with Daniela too. Have you followed all that? Oh, to the ends of the earth and back. <laughs> and that is from Georgia in Peterborough. Now, Georgia in Peterborough. 
that was quite a lot to get through. It's quite a lot to unpack there. But I, I will say this. Threes are always very difficult in friendship groups. You know, there's always one person who thinks, oh, did she tell her that or was it just me? Or So you and Daniela have had a cosy twosome for a year while... Grace has been away. So now she's re-entering the group and maybe she's finding that a little bit difficult because lots of things happened for her while she was away. Perhaps Grace is feeling uncertain about her place now. So, or she could be genuinely quite unhappy. What happened while she was away? As, as you know, Did something happen? Did she have a very bad love affair that went wrong? When people complain a lot and put others down, you know, it's often... A reflection of their own unhappiness, I find. It's, you know, it's that's the way it sneaks out, by complaining about every little tiny yes. thing. And it can be very low-making. But I think it might be that she's annoyed to be back. You know that... Well, no-one forced her to come back. Well, well, well we, we don't know we don't, we don't. We don't I, know that. I'm making assumptions. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, here's the thing. You know that, the, you know, um, uh, how can you keep them down on the farm after they've seen Paris? Yes, well, she's seen Paris, and now she's come back to the we farm. We don't know that she went to Paris. I know, but she's come... I know, she's, metaphorically. Yeah. And now she's come back to the farm with Georgia and whoever the other one is called. Well, if that's the case, then what she needs to do... What is her name again? Grace. Um, <laughs> Lest yeah. you forget. No. <laughs> Grace needs to... I mean, I think, Georgia in Peterborough, humour is always a good way to diffuse these sort of veil, thinly veiled attacks. And also a way to say, oh, you know, I know you had a lovely time in your gap year, Oh, yeah, gap year, so she's obviously going off to do university or something like that? Or mm. Well, they've been friends since school and they've been friends for ten years. Oh, OK, so, so I don't know. gap year from work. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there are ways around that. If you want to be somewhere, you sort of make that happen and you're still very young, all three of you, so you've got the world, you know, at your feet. You can do whatever you like. Yeah. So I think you need to investigate this. Is she very unhappy? Is she sad to be back? Of course she's loving, liking seeing you. Sorry, what are you saying? Well, I just think Georgia needs to roll with the punches because... Oh, is she overthinking? Yes, because she's this woman's come back. Here's my friends. Da da da. I, you know, after hearing that letter, I too felt a little negative, quick to point out flaws <laughs> and mistakes of past judgment. Because it's just too... You just stop it, Georgia. Just stop it. You were looking for too much in this friendship I know, group. but when you're young, you do that, Graham. Do you not recall when well, you felt Georgia, insecure? Georgia needs to go on her gap yaw. That's what she needs to do. She needs to pack a backpack and off she goes. Yes. Because, uh, yes, I can imagine that this woman's come back and is... Her patience has worn a little thin with uh, Georgia and Daniela. Right. So I, I get why she's being a bit snarky and da-da-da. But Daniela is doing a very good job of going, I don't care. And that's Georgia. Essentially, what you, what you need Take to do here is... Take your leaf out of Daniela's book. Yes, is we, we're doing We're all over the names now, Graham, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, I do think you are overthinking this, Georgia, in Peterborough, and now I am overthinking it too, and that is making me annoyed. I've stopped even thinking though, about it. I stopped even thinking though this about is it. my job today. I, I stopped thinking about it about halfway through the letter. <laughs> <laughs> Georgia, don't listen to him. He's got a soft heart in inside that harsh exterior. I just think, find out what's wrong with with her. Find no, out what's no, there's wrong. There's nothing wrong with her. There is. No, nothing. There's something wrong. She doesn't want to be there. Nothing. But no, she doesn't want to be there because no. Georgia is kind of overthinking everything right. and just she's annoying her. So what are we suggesting? They all go out and get very drunk together. Georgia should either take a gap year or not care drunk. Not drunk. less. Care, care less. less. Yeah. It's hard when you're young. To care less. <laughs> 
as it was as Harry Styles sang. Yes. Oh, Harry was so let's wise. Let's play him again. <laughs> yeah, let's play him again. He's such no a one great, will notice. He's such a great segue into the Grim Sky jingle. Uh, Georgia, we haven't been very helpful, but I think the Virgin Radio listeners will be better. Uh, Lara's in Whitechapel. You're people-pleasing by not saying how you feel. Ooh, Lara in Whitechapel. Uh, this will leave you feeling suppressed and miserable. And also... Angry with yourself. Be honest with yourself and be honest with her. It doesn't have to be a nasty confrontation. And if it ends with conflict, those are her issues, not yours. As you grow older, you do learn to do what you want and care less about what others think. Start that journey sooner rather than later. When it is just going to turn into a fight because in the letter she says... Um, that she kind of deny if you say something to her about being passive aggressive, she denies it completely. So it will be a fight. See, I think caring less is not doing that. <laughs> I think caring less is going just rolling your eyes and walking away. But eh, whatever. Uh, David B writes: If Daniela and Grace, these are the names. I I I decided to not get into the names, but David's brought them up. If Daniela and Grace are getting on fine, has Georgia considered that maybe she's part of the problem? I didn't want to say that. Perhaps George's outlook on life seems a bit parochial for Grace after her travels. I did say that. Maybe Georgia should go travelling herself and widen her horizons. I definitely said that. Yeah. Okay. I'm all over David's advice. Uh, Tony, regular correspondent, Tony in the world. Avoid Grace. <laughs> Care less, avoid Grace. We should really print details. I think the show needs its own details. Uh, life is difficult enough without such negative, negatively charged people. Unless you can ignore her, you might have to break with Daniela as well. Listen to Being Boring by the Pet Shop Boys. It might give you a little insight into enjoying being young before it slips away. Oh, Tony, that makes my heart squidge a little bit. Uh, yes, do listen to that. Or actually that Adele song, When We Were Young, that's also really, really good. She captures that moment uh, so brilliantly there. Graham's Guide. I'm going to read the second letter right now. OK. Dear Graham and Maria, in January, my younger sister turned up on my doorstep bawling, like a good, that's a good word, about the end of her marriage and that she has nowhere to go. My instinct was to send her away, but I didn't feel that I could. <laughs> I like whoever this one's from. <laughs> However, instinct. She has always been a difficult and selfish person. She borrows and never gives back. She lies and steals. It was actually her repeated infidelity that led to the end of her marriage. And now... She won't leave. Every time I talk to her about it, the tears come. She is getting too involved with my friends and telling lies, flirting with my partner, taking anything she likes without contributing, and it's too much. My mother and brother refuse to have anything to do with her and want me to just sling her out. I know this would weigh very heavily on me. So, I offered to put down the deposit and first month's rent on a place for her, but she went ballistic. This is driving me to the point where I want to move out and get away. Help! And that's from Kath in Swansea. I don't blame you, Kath in Swansea. That sounds like a terrible situation. Here's the thing, Kath in Swansea. There has to be rules here. And more importantly, an end game. Now, you and your partner have to be united in this. I know she's flirting with him, but he has to stop all that right now. You have to be united in this, in this fact, and you have to get 
him, I would say, Kathleen Swansea, to spell things out for her. He has to sit her down one evening when he comes home from work or whatever and say, look, we have offered you the deposit and first month's rent on a place, but we cannot have you here anymore. You've helped her out through the immediate crisis and that was kind of you. Now she has to take charge because... Chaos has a way of sucking everyone into its path, Kathleen Swansea, and you're finding that, and you have to really act now. I'm sorry for your sister's position, I really am, but sometimes the more you give people, the yes. worse it becomes. What's your thought, Well, I, I totally agree. And also, this is, of, this is a situation of her own making. You know, the, the marriage ended because of her. She's then showed up crying. Da, da, da. Here's the thing, Kath. Because you, you say, every time I talk to her about it, the tears come. Let them come. Let her cry and bawl as much as she likes. You've seen this before. You know what's happening here. It's not nice to have someone distressed and upset in your house. No, it's but, very upsetting. In fact. But you need to let it happen. You just need to let it happen and just stand there and stare at her till she realises it's not working. But I think with, with siblings, it's very difficult, which is why I'm suggesting that maybe you get your partner to step up to this, Kath. Yes. Because she's flirted with him. She thinks she's got a relationship with him and she's got getting him round her little finger. He needs to sit her down. I mean, it's a tough one, but he needs to sit her down and say, look, Kath and I cannot have you here anymore. It's affecting our relationship. We've offered you the deposit and the first month's rent. And you have to take control. You cannot live here forever. Yeah. And we've helped you through the nasty bit, but now you've got to be on your own. And Kath, I think the the partner must know that Kath's mother and brother are in, you know, are part of this. Going, going. No, stop helping her because it'll only get worse. She's one of those people that actually helping doesn't help. Helping makes it worse for yes, this person. Yes. I mean, it makes me feel no a bit sorry for her that her whole family have got the measure of her and she's clearly done very, very bad things in the past because it makes me feel, you know, her marriage didn't stand a chance, really, did it, with with all of that behind yeah. her? She's obviously needs to sort out issues. And, but people have let her get away with things for far too long. But it takes a lot of toughness, especially when it's family. Yeah, well, if only Kath had stuck with her instinct when she was at the door bawling about her marriage. Yeah, but... Somebody's uh, at your door saying, no, I've got nowhere else to go. Yeah. What do you do? You don't say, well, you know, there's a hotel down the road, do you? Well, you should, because otherwise uh. you end up having to write to us. <laughs> is there is there any lower level of, of humiliation? And then, then I had to turn to Graham and Maria for help. I'm sorry, Kathleen Swansea. It sounds like a terrible situation, but you've done well by her for now. But it has to stop. You have to put... Uh, a lid on this now. Stop yeah. saying things like that, Maria. Putting no. a lid on things. Put a lid on it. Yes. End game. Uh, Gath in Swansea. Hopefully, the listeners will be able to help you. Ian and Preston. Kath, you've been a saint. You need to make her leave. She's taking liberties. You need to be strong, although I know that's easier said than done. Ask your family to help you. I mean, I did think for the mother and brother to go, oh, you should just kick her out. They do need to kind of do this. There needs to be kind of a group intervention. Particularly for Kath's partner, who, you know, if he doesn't know the full history, (laughs) will think, oh, I'm with a monster. (laughs) Uh, so yes I think the family should get involved uh, Alex is in Bromsgrove we don't get enough texts from Bromsgrove That's I'm just saying just putting it out there your sister is behaving this way because you're enabling her set some boundaries mm. this was never meant to be a permanent arrangement give her a date and you and your partner 
Give her a date and you and your partner. Okay. Uh, Tell her she has until then to go if she wants to maintain any level of relationship with you. And you can do that. She won't go. And then, I mean, it's one of the... Do you physically pick her up and (laughs) drop her at the side of the road? I mean, it's going to... You feel like it's going to come to that. You're going to have to pack her bag and lift her out of a chair and shove her by the bus stop and then just don't answer the door when she comes back. It... It's so difficult. Um, I go with Graham. Oh, what? This is from Ross. Let the tears go and ignore them. I mean, in the end, you have to, it's like a child. You know, in a child, sometimes with a child, you know, a child cries to get what they want. Sometimes you just got to let them cry because they're not going to, they're not going to win. If that fails, change the locks and put her belongings outside with a note asking for her bank details for the flat deposit. I mean, Ross, it's tough. Ross, it's tough love, but I'm, I'm so with you. I am so with you. Graham Norton on Virgin Radio. I am joined by my first guest of the day, actor, YouTuber, Strictly Star, and now author. He's got a new book out called A Grow. It's out now in hardback. His name is Joe Sugg. Hello, Joe. Hello, Graham. Hey, welcome to the show. Um, so, what's it, I mean, this book, it's something we all need to do. This is basically how to detach ourselves from the digital world. Yes. Do you feel, do, do people feel betrayed by you. <laughs> and do you know what? That's, that was what I was worried about because I was thinking, obviously, the last 10 years of my career has been very, very <laughs> social media focused. Um, and so the people are like, what are you doing? You know, you're going against everything that you sort of, you're, that's been the last 10 years. But I think uh, over the last sort of two, three years, I've I had that moment where I was like, do you know what? I am addicted to my phone. I use it a bit too much. The balance is completely wrong. So it's more, I still obviously spend a lot of my time on social media and still do a lot of my job on social media but now I've just found a better balance that works better for me and I've sort of in a way reconnected with nature um and it's it's worked wonders for me so I thought you know maybe I can share this yeah with with people that want to hear it (laughs) and what's fascinating is now that you look back you it's in the book you talk about how you can now see how it was having a negative impact on you even when you were in school yeah yeah, I mean, um, it's 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 interesting to sort of look back through, and then I, I guess as you get older, you start to reflect back on your life, kind of thing. And and I was like, yeah, I'm just spent. I've just spent too much of my time. I've been I've I've been like a gamer since I was like eight years old. So I've always been sort of like looking at a screen and stuff. But actually, when I was younger, I used to balance out more with going outside, and I did have that balance sort of right for me. Um, but as I got older, and obviously with this, the boom of social media, yeah. I think it's got a little bit too heavy in one direction. So I've, um, I've, uh, yeah, put the measures in place to, to sort that all out. Okay, what are your quick tips? I mean, obviously there's cold turkey. You could just, you know, um, yeah, it doesn't I, work though. Well, no, I know someone. I know someone who bought safes, these timed safes. Oh right, yeah. To put their phone in the timed safe. Yeah. And so you couldn't get it out yeah. till the timer went off. There is that option. I, but that I've, seems... I've not had to do that, which yeah. is good. But uh, there are people out there who do do that. I think for me, I mean, I don't sleep with my phone in the room, in the bedroom, um, because the first thing I used to do was wake up in the morning and then check my social media. And I'd, go for, I'd open up one app, then I'd scroll through that for ages, then I'd go for another one and end up going in a big circle and then going back to the original app again and going through it again. And then next thing you know, I've miss my train and I'm like ah, oh, I'm very late where did the time go um so it's things like that I mean for me as well being able to get out and go for a walk I think during the whole sort of lockdown time when we were allowed that one walk a day it really made it apparent to me how important it is to get outside and, and go for a walk yeah and obviously take your phone with you um but 
just really try and be in the moment of going on a walk and just going out in nature I think is um, super super important yeah because you do see those I mean it's amazing and it's because I think it's always kind of couched in oh it's a young people problem but yeah, it isn't yeah. young people no it's not I mean I yeah. you know because I get those alerts you know it tells you how much time you spent on your phone yeah. each week which can I just say yeah. is a really <laughs> stupid thing for them to do yeah, <laughs> because, yeah, yeah. because it freaks you out it, you go, oh, it does yeah but talk, you put some of the stats in the book I mean we the average person in the UK spends was it is it six hours a day or something I think so yeah I, it's 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 a lot and when you think about it how much time that is it's, and it, it's, it's incredible like you said with that breakdown you get that report you get through on your phone it's really interesting to see as well how many times you pick up your phone in a day as well um just from like for, um force of habit yeah so i think even for me like i i was that person where if i'm in a queue if there's any ever a queue i'm on my phone and the phone's coming out any sort of area of like dead space the phone's out as a kind of just a buffer because i can't i got to the point where i can't just be doing nothing I have to yeah. have my phone well, no, my I'm, I'm with you you know yeah. I'm nearly 60 <laughs> and if I'm standing there and I don't have my phone I feel like oh what do I do now? Like, because yeah. it is your first instinct is yeah. to grab your phone and just scroll through for yeah. for, for nothing. You're like, I might have to actually socialise yeah. in real life, <laughs> talk to people. <laughs> um, tell me this: When did you? So you you have now kind of embraced the outside life to the point where you've you've left London again because yes. you you were a country boy. I was, yeah. I grew up in Wiltshire uh, in a little tiny village called Laycock in Wiltshire, um, which I loved. I, I think when I was younger, I took it for granted a little bit because I wanted to be in a town where my friends were. Um, uh, but then I did move to London when my sort of YouTube career took off. Um, I stayed there for, I think, seven or eight years. And then I thought, you know what? I, I, I never thought that I would always live in London. I did think, you know, at some point I'm going to go back to the countryside. Um, I didn't think it would be this soon. But, but you know, at the moment, I'm absolutely loving it. And it's it's nice to sort of be back to sort of my roots no pun intended so tell me this so you've gone to the country you're connecting with nature but you're not just kind of going hello birds hello trees uh, <laughs> I am doing that but there's more <laughs> yeah. but you are getting your hands dirty you're actually growing stuff are you are you very kind of veg orientated or are you are you growing flowers and things too I'm trying to, do you know what I, I we we acquired this garden and um, it's it's a big big green space and it's completely wild at the moment we just sort of thought you know what whilst we've moved here let's just see what actually grows on its own and just try and figure out i like i like that plan <laughs> so kind of like let's, let's not buy a mower just yet let's just let it all just do its let's own see thing what grows. yeah yeah um, <laughs> turns out yeah lots of mushrooms lots of uh, wildflowers but it's um but yeah i did we have got like a little bit of an allotment going on okay uh, but mainly in pots we don't want to fully commit yet we want to see what we can grow first so it's all in pots but we've had beans we've had uh, oh so you have actually eaten your harvest we've, we've eaten oh, our great. harvest yeah Excellent. and um it was nice in a way because I, I i tried to grow potatoes in a sack because that's the thing that's the, the thing yeah so uh, but i also grew some in the ground uh, and my granddad was he was he always had the best new potatoes ever and um, I've got this little area in the garden that I've kind of like dedicated to my granddad because he passed away a few years ago. And you dedicated the book to him, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I did, yeah, yes. Yeah, him nice. and my yeah. nan, yeah. yeah. And um, and so we dug up these potatoes and these potatoes actually grew and it was a little bit emotional, actually, eating those potatoes for the first time, like in our own garden yeah. and sort of grown since. It sort of takes you back to that memory of childhood and things like that. So it was, um, yeah, it was a real, like... It, it took a lot of time to grow them, obviously, but it's that kind of thing of like putting your time into something 
that's you're not going to get instant gratification from it kind of yeah. like the online thing everyone wants stuff so instant now and it's like that thing of taking a step back and just appreciating the slow process of growing spuds <laughs> but are your spuds getting you the likes are are people are people are you using it as content are people uh, invested in it that way do you know what? i did post i actually did on the way here i did post a uh a, a instagram story of a, a runner bean that i've grown that i think is the <laughs> longest runner bean that i've ever grown and ever will grow it's massive i'll show you after it's huge hello <laughs> <laughs> no because i i uh i followed joe lyson online and he does a lot of garden content yeah. uh, on on his thing, and people like it. People like yeah. seeing w- what you've what you've grown. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it, you know it's like a form of escapism, I guess. You know, a lot of people um, do get really invested into my gardening gardening content, and they love to as well give me their sort of tips and tricks. And I'm always doing something wrong. If I if that's the thing, if you share anything online of like in the gardening world there's always someone that's going to say you're doing that wrong when I grew up I learned it this way and it's like you've got to try and find that thing of like look everyone's garden's different everyone's you know you've got to get things wrong to get things right yeah. it's a long process but I'm getting there and in terms of your you know your mental health and everything how quickly did you find the the stress of of online slipping away how how fast was it that you were able to just be outside and be in the moment and not worry about what was going on in that mysterious internet it was it was pretty it was pretty instant just in the in the sense of like even like i said before going back to that lockdown time of being able to have that one walk a day you'd go on that walk and you would it it was such like a a release in a way of everything that you sort of because we were all online so much in that time and, and don't get me wrong a lot of the online stuff we did in those times was really good like you know the, the fact we can keep in touch with family and yes, friends yeah. and things from all over the place um, was really really helpful but it was that time where you did go for that walk it was a time just to completely switch off from everything and even now to this day if, if I'm ever having like a, a an off day or a day where I'm stressed out or things like that I, I go for a walk uh, it can be just a short little walk, but you know it makes such a difference. And tell me, was there a, was it a cumulative thing with you, or was there a breaking point? Was there a moment in your life when it went right? This is too much. I've got to stop this. There was a time, uh, I think it's around 2016, when um, it was when YouTube was in full swing for me, and it was massive, and I was doing. Um, I had another book coming out at the same time and I was doing uh, a, a, a film as well with my roommate at the time. And so there was a lot of things going on. And I just thought at the time, it's, it's what we now know as um, creator burnout. So they can get to a point where you're trying to better and better what you do online. You always want to upgrade everything and improve what you do and, and sort of keep the numbers high and things like that. So it gets to a point where you put so much pressure on yourself to um, to perform and keep things the way they, the level they are that it just gets a bit, you're always raising that the the floor the ceiling sorry yeah, and it and it just floor. gets just as it's floor and ceiling <laughs> the ceiling and it just got it's got a bit too much and I was a bit yeah. like you know because I started off as a as a roof thatcher that was my first yeah. job and I was like you know this is amazing and the opportunity is so good but it was a lot simpler back when I was a roof thatcher and I, I was a lot less stressed as well but it was um but yeah so it, there was a bit of a sort of that was the first moment where I think I had that kind of feeling of uh, this is 
not what I thought it would be. <laughs> well, listen, it's great to see you uh, looking so well and so happy, and it's a great message to get out there. Uh, the book is called Grow, and it's got lots of tips, as and, and also we should say it's a beautiful book. Thank you. Really gorgeous, but I mean, very Instagrammable. Yeah, great uh, for a coffee table, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks so much for coming in to see us, Joe. And, thanks, Graham. Uh, good luck with everything. Take care of yourself. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio. I am joined by my second guest of the day. He's got a new book out called More, More, More. The clue is in the title. Uh, his name is Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much indeed for having me. Uh, so this is the Maximalist Bible. It is the Maximalist Manifesto. Maximalism <laughs> is one of those words that's been sort of bouncing around for several years. But I don't think anyone's really kind of got under the skin of it yet. Um, and so this is what I wanted to do. I didn't want to bring out a book which was all about how you arrange your bits and pieces on a mantel shelf. I wanted to do something that allowed the reader to feel empowered to kind of make it up for themselves. Well, you say empowered to make it up for themselves, but okay, because I'm reading it, and I'm thinking, what is the difference between a maximalist and a hoarder? Uh-huh. You see, this is it. And one of the big things I try to make the point about is that... I- mindless hoarding, cat lady clutter, is just there because you can't be bothered to put it away. Um, Maximalism is about curation. So you then, all the stuff you've got in your room, you basically start a conversation with and you try and work out whether you actually like it or not, whether it's going to answer you back, whether it's going to be something that's going to enrich your life. But if it's just cat bum ointment on the sofa, you know, because the cat is there. It's been out of date for 12 years. And in fact, the cat's been dead for 20, you know, then you know that that is definitely hoarding. That is definitely not maximalism. And it's, it is nice when you go to someone's house and you feel like everything's got a story. Mm. That you know, it's not just it, it's not just there because I bought it at, at the art department in John Lewis. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, the personal shopper got it for me. No, but uh, this is absolutely the the, at the 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 heart of maximalism is it's the anti um, control idea. You know, basically minimalism, modernism was all about giving you a specific set of things that you could choose from, sort of, you know, uh, signals to show everyone off that you were, you know, very, very clever and very tasteful. Actually, maximalism is regaining all of that and saying, I'm going to make my own decisions. But everything does indeed have to tell a story, has to have some kind of relevance. And what has happened? Because, you know, if you go onto a property website Mm. and you, you know, scroll through the pictures of the houses, I mean, they are all cream with shiny yeah. floors, giant kitchen yeah. islands, yeah. and all When did when did when did the country become beige? I think it was one of those things that happened uh, about ten years ago. Not, when, on, not on your watch. Not on my watch. <laughs> oh my goodness me! No, um, I was never one of those. But it, it's when people became very very obsessed by this idea of, of uh, the capital value of where they lived, and of course you know where you live is an enormous investment. The point I'm making in the book is that it's actually an emotional investment as well, which is in fact much more important because. You know, eventually you can always paint out whatever you're about to do if you need to sell it quickly. Um, But fundamentally, I think everybody should be encouraged to do things that are much more expressive. And one of the big things in all of this was lockdown. I think people felt that they were trapped in these 
kind of beige, grey prisons of their own making. And so they sort of took to the internet. Um, they found wallpaper, they found paint, they found all sorts of bits and pieces. And they started doing their own thing. And then they started posting it. And this is why maximalism is so extraordinary. It's, it's a kind of a, a people style. It's the lunatics taking over the designer style. You know, <laughs> It's not designers telling you what to do. It's been people who've decorated in this way for the past couple of years, who've then inspired other people to do the same thing. So the point throughout the book is that there are no interior decorating rules. In fact, uh, I celebrate Karl Lagerfeld for such extraordinary minimalism, it becomes maximalist. Um, it's so ridiculously ornate and overcomplicated, it stops being minimal. So you can do whatever you want. You can be maximalist in white if you want. I and mean, if you're really, really, really clever, you might even try beige. That would be <laughs> no, Jedi. You, you say there are no rules. In this book, yeah. in this book, you cannot have a short curtain. You cannot have, there are some, listen, there are some things that should always be told. Thank you. And short curtains <laughs> are without doubt completely meaningless and pointless. Okay, fair enough. And and but are there other rules? I mean, do you walk into a maximalist house and kind of go actually these colors are crazy or you've you've you you've done terrible things with the light in this room mm. or there must be things well, that you see uh, we say there are no rules but you mm. must walk in and kind of go well this isn't very good well i think sometimes it's a bit more successful than others and i do run through just i give you the you know i give you the option i tell you which colors work better for making a room feel bigger or smaller but actually this obsession with making a big feel uh, a room feel bigger is a very very modern thing actually cozy rooms are absolutely wonderful and in fact maximalism is very much about comfort it's about not showing off in the way that we were obsessed with in the kind of the 90s and the noughties it's about making spaces that you know, look after you. I mean, we, we're we facing a very, very cold outside world at the moment. Maximalism is encouraging you to create the perfect sort of, you know, comfort decorated panic yeah. room in which you can kind of ride out what's going on. And when you work with clients, how do you achieve this effect? You know what I mean? In that it's it's kind of stuff mm. you're choosing, but they're going to live with it. Yeah. And, and and that idea of, you know, it's supposed to be the museum of you mm. and you, you, mm. the, it's curated and everything. How do you work with the client? Well, I mean, when I work with a client, obviously they do it my way. So that's all very straightforward. <laughs> but I think when you mean, how does one deal? Okay. With, yeah, how does one deal with the client? I think this is the big thing. And actually, in fact, in the old days, interior decorators were more about curating a client's collection you know it became something where you you became this kind of you know design dictator this designer saw that you know absolutely controlled everything um because in fact it, it really is awful when you walk in a room and it feels like a uh you know a display home a show home it feels like you've just bought it off the shelf um actually there's something so incredibly empty and soulless about rooms that don't reflect personality. Sometimes you actually do need somebody outside you to give you a bit of a nudge on that, you know, to say, actually, you are a little bit more exciting than this, you know, <laughs> for goodness sake. I know everybody else has done beige, but, you know, at least yeah. get, let's go for dark beige, at least. And also that there might be some things in a cupboard that you could frame and stuck in a wall and, well, and that would, uh, would be interesting. And I think that, that what, this horrible obsession with storage, this horrible obsession with not actually having anything on display. One of the things I keep saying in the book is that, you know, before the 20th century we didn't store we displayed people were proud of you know a kitchen would have shelves with china and glassware on it it didn't have cupboards in which you contained everything and i think we need to get back into that we need to get back into being proud of what we've got 
owning what we love and loving what we own. And it's 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 a message that's really really happening with with you know young people. They love this idea of a much gentler way of decorating. That's not all about fashion colours and trends and forecasts and basically consumerism. Well, I hope my mother's listening to this. It'll be music to her ears. <laughs> She'll be looking at her whatnot with pride. I mean, it sounds simple, but I, mm. I it, but it's not that simple because I think people will be because we were saying that thing of there is a difference between clutter and collection mm. and and also I always feel with my house I wish I just could have a skip outside and I feel like I I would mm. feel so much lighter if I just <laughs> threw stuff out. Well, we've I mean we've definitely been bullied into believing that actually the less we've got the better um, for the last sort of ten or fifteen years. Um, and one of the things that I've really hated is this sort of sense of homogenisation in interior design that actually taste is something that's got a full stop on the end of it. Um, and there's that wonderful John Betjeman line about the ghastly good taste of the English middle class. And I think we've we've had that, but there is definitely something massive changing um which is maximalism if you if you do the whole internet hashtag maximalism thing it is you know, just hundreds of thousands of predominantly young people who are making interiors in spaces of course they're 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 looking to the fact that they can't buy somewhere so they can't do all the modernist troops yeah. the you know knocking through and the big windows and the um island kitchen unit so they have to make a difference with color and with objects and just the way that things are sort of arranged a much more kind of a traditional approach to the craft of homemaking and the fact that it's become quite rock and roll i think makes it extremely exciting and a big part of it is kitsch. A big part of it is the sort of the anti-taste statements. It is the plastic flamingo and the, uh, you know, the pineapple um, ice bucket that, you know, our parents would disapprove of so heartily. And in fact, you know, the commentators and designer sorts would, you know, absolutely decry because for them it's all about something perfect from heels or something, you know, wonderfully kind of designer object. Um, but it is, it's got a real sense, maximalism has a real sense of street style, um, of of, you know, something that is growing organically with people rather than being, you know, kind of created in a petri dish of style. And who's the woman who loves cleaning? Is it Mrs Hinch? Mrs Hinch, yes. Mrs Hinch. Now, I feel she has a lot to answer for. Well, she's she's certainly... she's. I'm afraid she's one of my... She's definitely one of my um, anti, uh, anti-heroes uh, in, my, in my particular Marvel universe because it is all about that sense of controlling your space so, so efficiently in such an energised way you could perform autopsies in the living room, which I think is completely unnecessary. But have you gone the other way? Because I feel like... It, maximalism, I'm feeling that Quentin Crisp thing. You know, if yeah. you stop dusting, it, well, it, it, it stops getting more dusty after I do, seven years. Yeah, I do. I do actually cite him. I mean, I I, I feel now that um, I mean, people will look at a maximalist interior and say it was frightful dust trap. You get the same amount of dust in a minimalist kitchen. You know, I mean, don't. And in fact, you can see it in a minimalist kitchen. <laughs> um, I always think with dust, particularly in a maximalist room, it's like an Instagram filter. You know, it's just sort of just gently takes the edges off everything. Okay, and do like, your own home. Yeah. How often do you kind of recurate it? How Have often do you move things? Well, um, I mean, Jackie came up with this brilliant idea years and years ago, which is furniture therapy. Which is, you know, if there's not much on, or it's a sort of a wet <laughs> afternoon, um, you know, we just oh the fun, <laughs> oh, the, oh fun. the fun in the little Put house. everything, uh, you know, from the shelves in the great room in the middle of the room, and then see if there's a new place to put it. The grandchildren love it. It's a real, you know, it's like a, a scavenger hunt. But yeah, I mean, actually, I think it's a very important thing with a maximalist interior to sort of keep 
keep asking it the question, is it working? Does it actually give you pleasure? One of the horrible things about a modern room or a modernist room or even a minimalist room is it's finished. You know, you actually, someone signs it off and says, right, that's done. There's nothing more we can do. Yeah. What's lovely about maximalism is it just keeps, it's, it's so incredibly organic. It means that you can change it by season or just change it by mood. More, more, more is the title of the book uh, by Lawrence Rollerbone. It's out now in hardback. My takeaway from this is your granddad. I didn't know you were granddad. Yeah, I've got three. Wow. I know. Well, They're great. Yeah, well, it's lucky you're not going minimal. Yeah, I know. <laughs> But again, you see, that's it. Grandchildren and Spaniels, you've got to go maximalist. There's no way you could go minimalist. <laughs> There's no other option. Uh, lovely to see you. Thank you so much for coming in to see us, Lawrence. Take care. Thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show. And hey, have you clicked that follow button on our socials? If not, you're missing out on all the behind-the-scenes action. From the kitchen to the studio, just look up at Virgin Radio UK on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Speak soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio.